eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest for this episode is probably the greatest crew chief in NASCAR history. Chad Knauss has won seven championships with Jimmy Johnson, including the most recent in dramatic fashion last year. There is only one person with more. That's Dale Inman, who has eight titles and is in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Chad Knauss is headed there. It's just a matter of when he becomes eligible, and the indications from him and Jimmy Johnson are they aren't ready to retire soon. During this podcast, Chad talked about what the future holds for both of them, the enormous legacy they and car chief Ron Malik have created over the past 15 years, that trio of Johnson, Knauss, and Malik painstakingly has built the culture of one of the greatest teams in NASCAR of all time. That culture is professionalism, hard work, and discipline, and it's top-down. I'll confess I was a little bit nervous before this conversation with Chad Knauss, and that's because he is all business most of the times I see him. He admittedly doesn't make time for much chit-chat when he's at the track, and that's understandable. As you'll hear him explain, the team believes a serious approach means success. But in the interviews I've done with Chad away from the track, He's tremendously insightful, and in this case, he shared a lot about himself that reveals why he is one of the more fascinating personalities in NASCAR. This 
simply was one of my favorite conversations yet on the NASCAR and NBC podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating review or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. That really helps us out. We're also on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And now let's get to the conversation that we tape with Chad Knauss on Thursday, February 2nd at Hendrick Motorsports. Chad, thanks for doing this and thanks for being here. Appreciate okay. it. Certainly. Uh, I've got some racing questions for you, but want to start with some, some non-racing things. And one of them involves, I've seen you running around racetracks before. <laughs> But I understand chasing a race car, uh, that, but also in actual like athletic gear, uh, yeah. athleisure, as they say, that's uh, my Under Armour gear. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, but lately I've actually seen you, uh, biking a little bit more sure. and fans have noticed this too. I, I was looking last night and saw that somebody noticed that you were biking Pocono raceway mm. and somebody said, you just, you make laps for like an hour or two on Saturdays. I do. I do. Uh, I try to take advantage of the opportunity when we have it. And, and with the condensed schedules we're going to have this year, it looks like I'm going to have more of an opportunity uh, on Saturdays to be able to go and run or cycle or go to the gym and swim or whatever it may be. So that, that's an exciting thing. It's a good outlet for me. Uh, as we all know, racing can be pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the drivers have a little bit more time to go and, and train and be athletic and do do different things. The crew chiefs are, uh, it's a little bit more difficult, especially last year with the schedules that we had. We weren't getting out of the garage until 6, 7 o'clock at night, and then you would have to go home and do your homework and then go to bed at some point, right? But with the schedules this year, I'm really excited about it. There's quite a few that are already posted that we're going to be out of the garage by 3 o'clock, hmm. and that means we're going to have an opportunity to go do things. And um, you know, Pocono is probably one of my favorites, quite honestly. Uh, it's a big track, as yeah. we all know, two and a half miles around that facility. And if you get the wind right, <laughs> it's not just knocking you down down the front straightaway. You can really make some good laps. And the, the fans are always hanging on the fence every time you come around and they're cheering and saying, Go, Chad, you're doing a good job. You know, <laughs> you're 20 seconds faster this lap or whatever the situation may be. So it's... Uh, it's a good outlet. It's fun, and I enjoy it. Sure. So one of the drivers, obviously, you mentioned is, is your driver. Sure. It was kind of like the leader in this. He started mm-hmm. out running, then I think he moved to swimming. Now biking seems, seems to be his thing. Have you joined him on any 100-mile bike rides? Uh, no, we have ridden together from time to time. Um, I don't like riding with people, and I don't like running with people. That it, I know. It sounds <laughs> weird. But the fact I'm, – I'm a bit of a, a loner, as everybody knows, and I think most people know that about me. Uh, so I really use those opportunities for me to go out and clear my head. Uh-huh. I don't want to be talking to Jimmy, who I'm trying to figure out you know, how to make his race car faster after he just made me upset while we were practicing or vice versa. So uh, I, I use it for alone time. We, <laughs> funny story, we were in Kansas one time uh, on a ride and I was not feeling well. And we, we went to this park and we were riding laps around this, this beautiful park they've got there. And we're going up this climb up the hill. And I wasn't doing a very good job and I needed some help or I was just slower than everybody else. So he came back, you know, he goes to the top, comes around, comes back down about halfway and says, Hey man, you doing all right? You're going to make it. I'm like, yeah, just give me a break. I'm going to get there eventually. (laughs) And you know, so he, we take off and we ride up to the top and then we get to the next climb and we're, we're, he goes up to the top, you know, and I'm still about halfway and he comes back down. He's like, man, you're going to make it. You're all right. He said, you know, here, just get on my, get on my wheel and I'll draft you up. And I'm like, look, dude, 
just just go go away i don't even want to ride with you right now yeah i mean you're huffing you're puffing right like i said i wasn't feeling well so i just pulled over and i sat down on a log on the side of the road i said i'm gonna sit right here until you leave he's like man no come on no man left behind and i was like no you're leaving me behind you're you're either gonna stay here with me or you're gonna leave and he's like all right fine i'll go so he took off and then I made the rest of the ride by myself. So I just, uh, I prefer to be on my own and by myself. I can run my pace, ride my pace. And it's a, it's a good way for me to get my exercise and clear my mind. Sounds like the sibling relationship that you it's guys have. pretty constant. It yeah. Is. All right. We're going to get to that at some point. I want to talk to you about Jimmy, but you mentioned being a loner, which uh, isn't entirely true. I mean, you're, you're a married man these days. I am. Um, <laughs> you went to, uh, Uruguay. In we the did. How, how was that with your lovely wife? Well, my gosh, it's such an amazing experience. I've always wanted to go to South America. Um, never really had an opportunity to get away and get down there, nor really a reason to. And, uh, Brooke is, is really working on trying to establish herself, uh, as an artist. She's an amazing painter and she's really trying to hone in on her craft and we found an amazing place down there called uh, Jose Ignacio. It's a beautiful little town in, in Uruguay. And uh, it's a very huge art community. Hmm. I'm talking art from sculptures to paintings to just the most random things you've ever seen in your life. So she kind of honed in on that. And we're like, well, let's, let's, let's make it a trip. Let's do it. So we found a beautiful place down there and stayed at two different um, kind of hotel-esque places and really, really enjoyed it. The food was phenomenal. Um, the culture down there is amazing. Uh, we were down there for 10 days and what I, it's, it's just a bizarre environment. I, I try to explain this to people. I never saw a television and it's not that we didn't turn a television on. It's just that I never saw a television. Like the, the, you come anywhere in the United States and any restaurant that you go to, the bar area has a TV, any restaurant that you go to may have three or four televisions around it and they're just blaring sports or CNN or whatever it is you may want to see. Down there, that's not the case. It's, uh, it's, it's living life. It's, it's art. It's the beach. It's the, the, um, the fields, you know, watching the gauchos go out there and, and rustle the, the cows and the horses to bring them into the stables. It's, it's a really, really neat spot. Uh, it was difficult to get it all figured out initially, uh, the people that go there mainly for vacation, that the town only has a population of like four or 500 people, hmm. uh, off season, but during on peak season, thousands and thousands and thousands of people come from Europe and Argentina and Brazil to just this, this little town. Um, but they don't get up until about nine thirty, ten o'clock. And then they'll head to the beach for a couple hours and then they'll hit the, the lunch spot, whichever the cool hip lunch spot is that you want to go to that day. You start drinking a couple of bottles of rosé, and the next thing you know, it's 2.30, 3 o'clock, and then you go back out to the beach till about 6 or 7, and then everybody heads back and showers and gets cleaned up and go to dinner about 11, and then you do it again the next day. Hmm. So it's a really neat environment. It's a lot of fun. Everybody enjoys themselves, and it was probably one of the safest places I've ever been to in my life. Hmm. Uh, no, no threat for anything. Um, really really enjoyed the experience and brooke found it essentially because it's it's like an artist type colony it, she's an artist it's yeah, yeah she's, her artwork is really just taking off and i'm so <clears> proud of her because it's really starting to get pretty good um yeah i was checking out her website and like half the stuff is sold out she, I was yeah she's yeah. she's falling behind on updating it and we've been traveling so much she doesn't have a heck of a lot of new <laughs> material but uh you know it's it's what's so unique about that place is you're driving down the road for instance out to some little town uh, one specifically went to called uh, uh, Garzon, which uh, Francis Molman, who was on Top Chef, has a restaurant there. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. I'm, and, and literally, I'm saying in the middle of nowhere, dirt roads, uh, a town that is 
just nothing more than just a city square with a dirt road around it. it has an amazing little restaurant. Well, as you're driving down the road to get to this place, uh, all of a sudden you see this massive 40 foot tall iron sculpture right. of, of nothing. And you're like, what? why is that even there? And just somebody said, hey, let's just put art there. And it's like, oh, okay, there's art. And then you, know, you go down the road a little bit further and all of a sudden there's this big art uh, park community. There's, there's no gate, there's no sign, there's no nothing of that. And it's anything from huge concrete sculptures to amazing metal uh, pieces of art to just really neat stuff. And you go into this little town and there's this little crafter in there and he makes different carbon fiber pieces and his whole shop is nothing but a, maybe a thousand square foot building that he makes the sculptures, paints the sculptures, lives, and oh yeah, by the way, he makes music too. So right. it just, the whole thing, you can't help but be creative in an environment like that. And uh, I think it was really rewarding for her to be able to get down there and see that. Right. I know that you've, you're a driven person, but you've talked before about how you've learned to unplug from this place and go places mm -hmm. and get re-energized. But yeah. it must be different when you're going with somebody else. Sure. It's her suggestion that this is where we go. Yeah, I told her. Uh, I gave that one to her. You know, uh, we, we enjoy going to different places to go skiing. So we went skiing over the holiday. And then uh, we had a couple, uh, an opportunity to take a, a week and a half, two weeks to go down there and experience that. And I wanted to give Brooke the opportunity to, to take the lead on that. And she did a fantastic job. It was, it was awesome. That's cool. All right. Well, as the guy uh, who did a USA Day story three years ago and asked whether he would ever get married. <laughs> It seems like it's working out okay. <laughs> it's going okay. All right. I mean, there's trials and tribulations in every relationship, but it's it's pretty pretty good. She's an awesome lady. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the race team. Um, I know that you guys have some changes going into 2017. If I'm, if I saw this correctly, the the roster looks a little bit different in terms of like you guys got a little bit younger. Is that right? You yeah. have some new faces or not a lot or trying to think off the top of my head. I think we, we've made a change with our engine tuner, Johnny Boydston, who was with us for years and years, was a big part of our team. He's, uh, you know, he's married and he's got children and it's time for him to stay home and, and be a dad a little bit more often. So he's been able to move into a, a great position with the Hendrick engine department and stay based in Charlotte, which is good. So we have a new engine tuner that's going to be with us this year uh, who came from us actually from Kevin Harvick's team. So mm -hmm. Jeremy Jackson, great guy. And... The rest of it, I don't really think we've made any other changes no to speak changes. of, so okay. it's pretty consistent. Um, we've got some new younger development guys that are going to be a part of our pit crew roster, which we're excited about that. We, we really enjoy developing and, and uh, nurturing that young talent. Um, but really, other than that, it's about the same guys. And you know, my engineering staff with the 48, you know, they, they came on board just a couple of years ago. So these guys are really just kind of getting their legs. So I'm super excited about the fact that uh, you know, going into the third year with these guys, um, you know, on, on the Lowe's team is going to be even better than what it has been in the last couple. And of course, the the core has remained since 2002, and that's you, Jimmy, and your car chief, yep. Ron Malik. Yep. Um, how I'm going to read you something that Jimmy said um, for, about Ron Malik from from 2011, and he talked about the, the reason you guys have had the unity that you've had. And that, you know, a lot of it is just that you guys just understand that opportunities like this don't come along very often. And that like, it's, as Jimmy put it, we know it's fragile when a relationship like this comes together and works so well that we all kind of respect that. Yeah. How would you view you and Jimmy and Ron Malik's relationship that way? It's, it's an amazing relationship. Uh, we've all come from all of the different parts of the world, but we've all come from similar backgrounds to where we didn't have 
a lot of money growing up. We, we all had to work for what it was that we wanted to accomplish, what we wanted to do. We all had to sacrifice, and we all had to stick our necks out there a little bit. So when we first built this team in 2002, we all knew that this, uh, the three of us knew that this was our opportunity to be successful in this, in this environment. And we knew just straight away that we couldn't do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we, we bought into it as a group and it's, it's stuck. And, you know, we've, we've established, you know, some core values that, that we really adhere to. And, you know, the hard work ethic, ethics of the, the 48 team, the, the professionalism of the 48 team, the, the desire to want to continue to, to push even through adversity, uh, those things that, that we have really striven hard to, to continue to push is, you know, a direct result of Ron, uh, obviously, because he's the core guy that's working with the, the, the team. And we've had a lot of different guys, which is, I think, fantastic, but our tenure is long. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some people can say, well, man, you've had 15 mechanics work on your team. Yeah, we've been together for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, you know? it tends to happen over 15 seasons. Right, that's quite over. a lot. Yeah. So, you know, our tenure is long, you know, four or five years at a time, a lot of guys stay. And uh, we've been able to take what it is that we really think are important portions of the 48 team. And when you miss or replace two or three guys and the next batch of two or three come in and they're, they're being tutored by the the other 12 or 15 that you've already got here they they learn and they buy into whatever the methodology is that we're putting out there so we've been real fortunate from that standpoint and ron is a huge uh huge reason behind that because he understands what it is that we want and he understands the way that we're going to operate and he, he makes them adhere to it which is just fantastic when i when i talked to ron for the story i did about you three years ago he told me that uh obviously he has to have tough skin because <laughs> when he has Monday morning meetings with you sometimes at 7 a.m., like yeah. he says, when the guys see me after those meetings, they know what kind of mood Chad is in, what kind of mood the team is in, and, yeah. and how, you know, how things are going. But something that Jimmy said that I thought was interesting about Ron is he said that you sort of have to be the same to work for Ron as a mechanic, that you have to have thick skin to be able to work with him. And, he, and Jimmy thinks that's why you and Ron work so well together. Is yeah. there's, there's no sugarcoating with either of you two. No, we, uh, we, we, we take an emotional quotient test uh, with the majority of our people on our team, and we, and we use that to try to understand how to communicate. And, and Ron is just a, a – if you look at his results, he's just a little bit tempered of, of exactly what I am. Mm-hmm. And we're very direct. Uh, we're very straight to the point. We expect results. We expect them in a very short order. And if you don't, we're going to figure out why. And if you can't get it done, we're going to get somebody to do it. And that's why Ron and I work so well together. We can have a very pointed discussion. We can make decisions. We can come to a conclusion and move on. And it's right. done. And it's, it's going to happen. And it's one way or another, that's, that's what we're doing. There isn't a lot of hemming and hawing. There's not a lot of, well, if this, then that. It's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this. And we're going to figure it out as we go. If, if something goes wrong, guess what? We'll, we'll, we'll adjust. But this is the direction we're going. And that's, that's the biggest reason why we get along, I think. You know, yeah. he, he's, he's very quick to make a decision. Right. And, and I like that. He's very quick to tell me exactly what's on his mind. <laughs> with complete disregard of my feelings, just so you know. And, and well, just like you would do to him. <laughs> and very similarly to him. Yeah. Now, I will say that over the years, I've learned how to temper it quite a lot. And, you know, when you did that article with Ron three years ago, it was probably at my height of, of I don't know what you would say, maybe my, my aggressiveness or assertiveness. And I've, I've changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really change your temperament traits, but you can you can learn how to 
maybe curve them a bit. Yeah. And uh, Ron and I both have been able to do that over the years. Well, another thing you mentioned, Chad, is that you, all three of you, as you said, come from from similar humble backgrounds, mm-hmm. Midwestern backgrounds, sure. uh, in the case of you and Ron. Um, and Jimmy once told me this great story I loved. I mean, obviously, you guys have relationships away from the racetrack. And he told me that, like, in the 2002 season, that um, – you guys need to sort of prove that you could outrun the 24 yeah. before they started letting you build your own stuff. As Jimmy put it, like Brian Weitzel said, you can't build a Chad Knauss car and develop anything until you can outrun the Jeff Gordon car. And right. Jimmy told me that there were days like when you guys would sit, you and him and Ron would sit at the lake in 2002 and just think about crazy ideas, front end <laughs> geometry, coil binding. <laughs> Do you have fond memories of those oh days? Oh my gosh. Those were the days. Um, the rules in the environment was a little bit different back then. You had a little bit more, um, more room to move and in our right. sport than what you do now. So right. yeah, absolutely. We would sit back with, you know, we get back from the racetrack on a, you know, Jimmy talked me into moving next door to him at the lake, <laughs> you know, so this is, this is how it was. You know, I bought a house that was for sale just two, two doors down from him. So when we got home from the racetrack on a Sunday night, we could get, go and grab a cold one and sit on the, the back patio and discuss what happened throughout the course of the race and what we were going to do moving forward. That was a really neat time. I mean, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very uh, productive. We were aggressive for sure. And it didn't always work, but it didn't take long for us to be able to build our first 48 car the way we wanted to. And, um, you know, went pretty well from there. Yeah. The caliber of people that work on your team, specifically, Chad, you've said in the past about your team, it's tenacious. Um, and I'm, when I talked to you three years ago, th- this quote stood out to me. You said that you want people that that race, as you put it, there's a lot of people who want to race. Uh, we want people that race. It, it took 12 years of building. It took a long time, but there's a, there's a, there's a difference sure. between people who just want to race versus those who actually put in the work and effort. How, how do you find those people? It's a challenge. You know, there's people that race for a living and there's people that live to race. Right. That's it. And exactly. that's, that's what we do. Um, we, we live to race. We want to go out there and we want to compete. We want to, um, we want to be so successful. We put people back on their heels every time they come into the racetrack. And that's, that's what we do. That's what we want to do. Now we're not, we don't always do it, but that's our goal. Right. Um, so to, to find those people, we've, we've been very fortunate, uh, with us. And I think if you look at our tenure and the people that have been with us, we don't hire a lot of people from other teams. Mm-hmm. too much that are let's say a seasoned veteran you know i don't, I don't we, we don't very very rarely do we go say okay we're going to hire this guy from gibbs and put him on the 48 car because this guy is the best x we go through and we do our diligence to try to find the best person that we possibly can the the best uh, fit for the team and the person that has the the ability and the aptitude to to do the job and then we like to train them Mm-hmm. Because we feel like then there's buy-in. Uh, you don't always have the well. We did this this way over here. I don't really care how they do it elsewhere. <laughs> we just care <laughs> about the way that we do it here at Hendrick Motorsports and the way that we do it on the 48 team. And that's that's tough because there's always an acclimation period. You're going to have mistakes. Um, there's always going to be hardship of you know this person maybe isn't getting it and you've got to you've got to make the difficult decision of okay we got to make a change because this guy just isn't fitting into the mold. Um, there's a lot of people that have worked with the 48 team throughout years and years and years that that didn't fit right just because they don't understand the culture or the buy-in of what it takes to be a part of the Lowe's team and it's 
I honestly feel to be a part of the 48 team is a different culture than it is to be with most other teams in the garage. And it's interesting that you would seek out guys who weren't shaped by other teams because other teams probably hire away from Hendrick because they see it as an advantage to gain trade secrets. Certainly. But you don't think that's the one you trade a little bit. I don't even, it doesn't even, I'd, I'd rather, we just hired a truck driver from the UP, right? And mm -hmm. this guy has never even seen a cup car. And I would rather hire that guy than a guy that's a 20-year veteran driving a truck. Now, obviously, we want, we want to make sure he's safe and he's capable and he can, he can do what he needs to do in the transporter. But my excitement is this guy's coming down here and his eyes are big, man. Like he's, he's going to be like, he's going to have eye, eye candy for days as soon as he goes right. in the garage. Right. Cause there's right. so much going on watching this person grow and watching this guy get to where he's going to be a valuable part of our team. That's where, where I really get my excitement. Um, you know, it's the industry has changed an awful lot. I still love building race cars. I love the design. I love the, the, um, you know, the lab testing and the development and everything that we do, the tuning the car and the strategy. But where I'm really starting to enjoy myself now is is nurturing these guys and, and watching them grow. There's a lot of guys on this team that when they started, they weren't even hardly shaving, right? <laughs> and, and now they're married and they've got children and, you know, houses. And it's just, it's a different environment. It's a lot of fun to watch this happen and help be a part of it. How much of more of your job is as a manager now than it was in 2002? It's significantly more, you know, the yeah. team's twice as big as what it was then. Um, the, 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 the personalities are, I've learned over the years, um, that managing the personalities you get correctly, you can actually get a better result than just managing the race cars. So we, once again, we go back to trying to hire the best group of people for the 48 team and let them do their jobs. And it's, it's been tough to, to allow that to happen. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the puppet master, right? Like you kind of, you kind of get above everybody and make sure everybody's <laughs> right. in the right direction and doing the right things. And then, you know, we kind of put it all together and make it happen as a team. Right. Let's talk a little about your relationship to, uh, to Jimmy, like that wonderful story you told about the bike ride. Um, obviously <laughs> that, that reminds me of brothers, uh, and the way brothers interact. And when I entered, I, we did, NBC did sit downs with you and Rick and, and Jimmy after, after the Miami win. And, I asked each of you to describe your relationship, the Jimmy Chad relationship, and brothers came up in every single one of those answers. Oh, did it? Yeah. So I don't think that's a coincidence. How, <laughs> you, you guys have, you yeah. know, you've, you've had your tribulations. You've you've For fallen sure. into ditches over the last fifteen seasons, just like other crew chief driver combos have. How do you think you survived it? You and Jimmy survived it when others haven't. <sighs> There's a lot of love in the air, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's a lot of love and, and you know, you hurt the ones you love the most. Right. And, uh, so there's, there's a little bit of that when you, when you're in a relationship and I think anybody that's been in a long type of long-term relationship, which, you know, you realize that the first person you're going to snap to is the person or snap at is the person that you're most comfortable with typically. Right. Mm -hmm. Understanding that you've snapped or understanding that you've done maybe something that's hurt somebody's feelings or made them un, uh, give them some unrest um, is the key to it. And we've, we've learned that and we've learned that no matter what we do, all we want to do is win. And it's not necessarily Jimmy's fault that we're, we're not winning. It's not necessarily my fault that we're not winning when we go through those phases. It's our fault. And knowing that we have to bite and dig in deep to, to, to correct those problems is, is a lot of it. But, you know, I've changed a lot over the years. Jimmy has changed a lot over the years. We've, we've, he's got a family, he's got kids, he's got, you know, all the stuff that he's doing. Um, 
you know, I've gotten married, I've got, you know, different house and, you know, the team and the team's growing and the structure's changing. We've, we've been aware of the change each other's gone through over mm -hmm. the years. And Jimmy's yep. helped me tremendously. He, right. he really has. He's such an amazing man. You know, if, when I, if I'm fortunate enough to have a son one day, if he grows up to be just like Jimmy Johnson, I, I would be very happy. And I don't mean that from a success and racing standpoint. I'm talking as an individual. I'm talking as a person. Uh, that would be the ideal young man to, to be in my family. Uh, he is compassionate. He has empathy for people. He's, uh, he's, he's strong-willed. He's strong-hearted. He cares. Um, you know, he's, he's a pretty amazing person. And I didn't always identify with that. Um, you know, his kind of West Coast, California jive type thing, mm -hmm. because I'm Chicago, Midwestern, you know, nose to the grindstone, get it done, old factory worker type person. So it was hard for me to get to that point. But, you know, where we're at now, and especially where we're at now in our careers, you know, there's there's really not many other people in the world that I'd rather work with than Jimmy Johnson. Right. You know, he's like the bicycle ride. If him you know uh, i i can't wait to beat him on that bicycle one day <laughs> and i can't wait to beat him on that run one day but i can tell you if somebody if he's in competition with somebody else and they're about to beat him with their bicycle yeah i'm going to take their wheel out right. to make sure he wins right does that make sense that makes absolute sense. and yeah. I, i'm going to do everything in my power to beat him and i want to do everything in my power to make sure he beats whomever else that he's competing against I think you just answered my next question. I'm just going to read this quote uh, because I loved it. It's, this is what you said um, after winning Miami. Uh, you said, Jimmy has taught me about so much about life. He's taught me about family. He's taught me about relationships, about what it means to care about other people than just yourself. I came in, was very self-centered, and all I wanted to do is win races. All I cared about was the race car. He's helped me realize that that's not what life is necessarily about. So I think you just articulated very well all of the reasons for what that quote meant but i'll yeah. ask you this i mean there's there's some i think there's it's fair to say there's there's still some lingering like fan misconceptions about jimmy and maybe it's just that all athletes have that especially ones that are really successful sure so i know you don't pay attention to outside noise <laughs> but <laughs> if you could like just show fans the jimmy <laughs> you see it sounds like you you're saying you would see a role model that is beyond reproach. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, he's... I don't even know how to explain He, He's so good, he makes you mad. You know, like, he is such a great person. He, he cares for his children. He cares for the people that work with him. He cares for the people that build and maintain his race cars. He cares for his pilots. He, he legitimately has a heart for everybody that's in his life. And he's, he's non-judgmental. Like, if you guys knew his friend list, like it's ridiculous. Like he's got people from all walks of life at different stages of, of success, uh, different sports, athletes, actors, actresses, factory workers, I mean, bicycle repairmen. Like this guy is a friend to whomever he, he can be because he's just that genuine. Um, you know, he's, he's a pretty special person. He really is. I'm not really good at a lot of these adjectives, you know, um, it's, it's tough for me from time to time to try to express it, but he's a, he's a huge part of my life. He's a huge part of everybody's lives here at Hendrick Motorsports. He's a great ambassador to the sport. Um, it's, it's, he's, he's a pretty cool dude. Let's talk briefly about what you guys <laughs> just did. Um, I'd, I'd never heard Jimmy be so forthcoming until after that seventh championship about you know what it meant to his legacy, and he talked about um, 
Richard Childress touching his arm and talking with tears in his eyes in Victory Lane. He talked about Dale Jr. coming on stage and having him say that his dad would have been proud of him. Um, what's, what's, I don't know if we've heard as much. I know it's hard for you to put it maybe in, in perspective. I know it's probably something that 20 years down the road, you'd have an easier time doing, but what, what does seven mean to you as a legacy as a crew chief? It's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what the legacy means. This is where I struggle with that. Right. Cause that's your right. job. Right. 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 <laughs> right. You know, people, what does it mean to you? Well, it means that Daytona's coming. You know, in, in two and a half months, like I said, you know, when we were down there, we got to get ready to go. Uh, it's an honor to be where we've been. It's, it's, it's an honor to have been as successful as we have been. Did I ever fathom or imagine that we would get to this point? I dreamt it, right? I wanted it to happen. Did I think it would really come to fruition? And you just don't know. If we, and when you're 28 years old in the first year I'm a crew chief, did I ever think we were going to win a race? Man, I hoped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that everything we were going to win, I don't know how many races we won, 70, 80, whatever it is. Um, I, I never would have thought that. So it's it's really cool to, I know that's a lame word to say, but it's 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 really cool to, to be here and, and walk through the garage. And all I've ever really wanted to be was known as a racer. You know, that's, that's what I do, true and true. That's all I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, since I was a very, very young man, you know, rolling on a, around in a creeper with a can of spray paint trying to paint my father's chassis on his race car and getting yelled at because I made a run you know like that's all I ever wanted to do was to do it better so I could do it for real right and to to be able to be where I'm at right now it's an honor it's a privilege it's it's been a fantastic ride and uh, fortunately enough we're we're still young enough that we don't have to quit yet right right? and it looks like we can keep doing it for a little bit longer anyways which is was really exciting Jimmy seems to think eight is in the picture and he wants to do this a few more years so you're on board with that. I don't see why there isn't an opportunity for, for that to happen. Obviously, we, we all know that the, the structure of the industry is changing a little bit with the rules, the formatting. The competition is tougher than it's ever been. Uh, racing is, is a harder thing to do now than, than any other point in time in our lives because the culture and the environment has changed so much. Technology has come into play that has taken a little bit of the, the, the basic racer, which is what I am. I'm just a racer. I'm not an engineer. I'm not as smart as half the people that work for me. Um, out of my hands to a degree and you, you, you approach it differently. So that's where we were talking about, like my job has changed significantly since the first time I was crew chief back into 99 or 2000, whenever it was. So it's, we've got possibilities. I think that we've got a lot of good stuff coming. I'm super excited about the 2017 season, really excited about the 2018 season, uh, with the new car from Chevrolet. So there's, there's a lot of really neat things coming on the horizon. I think are going to be good for the 48. You, um, you mentioned you've been a crew chief since 2000, mm-hmm. but really you've been, you mentioned your dad, you've been a crew chief since you were 14, right? A child, yeah. <laughs> young, young one. I, I think you said you probably don't want to do it past 50, which I think is five or so years away. Yeah. Uh, have you thought to that point yet about what's next for you? Or No, no. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to get my financial advisor in check, though, because I'm... <laughs> I, I surely can't afford it to retire, so that's not going to work out exactly how I wanted it. But no, I don't know what what's going to happen. The horizon is uncertain for sure. Um, obviously, Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports is a huge place. Uh, I've been very loyal to Rick since you know 1993 when I started in Cup. I took a small hiatus, but it was really with his blessing, you know. And then right. I came back. Um, so I'd love to be able to do something with Hendrick Motorsports uh, if if everything works out. Uh, that that would be my goal for sure. Your former colleague, Steve Letarte, joined my company 
Yeah. You became an analyst. You, your name gets bandied about a lot about TV jobs. I, you've worked I don't for Fox know if Sports, I, I don't know? know if I have it. You know, the Tart man, he has the gift of gab. Like that guy can talk for days, <laughs> and, and and not get a response from anybody. Right. right? Like he can just talk and keep himself company. So I I, I don't know that I have that ability. Uh, I enjoy it. Uh, I don't know. We'll just have to see. You know, if the opportunity comes up you know it might be something that, that that i would definitely entertain we're just gonna have to wait and see i don't know you nobody's said, knocked at my door yet how's that so we'll just have to see no one has knocked at your door no man no nobody's even <laughs> my phone number is 704 no i no, just kidding <laughs> the last time i talked to you in this building when we sat down you were doing um public speaking and it had talked about maybe mm. you wanted to do some corporate yeah. stuff are you, are you still doing that? not really yeah. uh, i got i as you know i like to do things right mm-hmm and it's very difficult for me um, during the season to be able to do those types of things. Right. And then my off season is getting so precious that time. Uh, I really don't want to work more than just work what I need to do at, at Hendrick Motorsports during the off season. So I've, I've done a handful of, of different things at different times. I'm doing one in May here at, uh, at Hendrick Motorsports, which is a, a really neat event that we've got going on. I think it's just going to be a, a 40 minute speech of some sort. Um, but it's it's hard for me to be able to go all in on that, deliver exactly what I want to, and and prepare the way that I need to along with trying to race. So it's just not fair to to to, to whoever it is I'm going to speak to, um, and it's it's definitely not fair to the race team to take away from that. The TV stuff that I do is fun. You know, we do it on a Monday night or a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, whatever night it might be. I have minimal prep time and I can kind of just go and be myself and, and, you know, contribute to the broadcast a little bit. So, or the show. So that's, that's a little bit fun for me, but we'll, we'll just have to see. There'll be more speeches. I'm sure when I retire, <laughs> um, something you said about Jimmy last November, which struck me, uh, you know, you said that nobody could really appreciate what he went through that weekend in Miami, except for two people. Cause only two people prior to him had, yep. had done it. Uh, only one person had done what you've done as a crew chief and i was just curious like have you have you talked to dale inman or you know about i haven't that? spoken to him um not at all yeah <laughs> actually <laughs> um no it, it, but i'll tell you what there's there's no replacing what dale inman did he i could be fortunate enough to have, have gotten eight or ten or twelve of these things and still wouldn't have to go through what dale did uh you know he what those guys did back then when he was young and he was making stuff happen in the, the 60s and just, you know, 70s and just going through all of that is is way, way harder than I have ever experienced. We, you know, he, he's legit. He's the real deal, man. And, yeah. you know, I have a huge amount of respect for him. Uh, people try to say, you know, put us in the same sentence and compare us and there's no comparison. What he did is so completely different than what I've been, what I've done. How about comparing yourself to Ray Everham, your mentor? I mean, in some ways, I guess you've surpassed him championship wise. That's and what he tells me. <laughs> he, he, he tells me that all the time. You know, I, I still have the, the utmost respect. There's two people that I called, uh, well, that's lie three, uh, my wife, uh, Homestead after we won the championship, my wife, Brooke, she couldn't go. Um, so unfortunately she wasn't there. Um, um, so when I got back to Miami, finally, once, uh, our marketing and PR people let us get out of the racetrack and go and start to have some fun <laughs> after hours and hours, hours and questions. hours and hours and hours, <laughs> um, <clears throat> the first person I called was my wife. Uh, 
and she was obviously in tears and having a great time with uh, celebrating with our friends back here in Charlotte. Um, the second person I called was my father, and the third person I called was Ray Evernham. And, you know, it's, I, I know I woke his butt up too, man. He was sound asleep. <laughs> and I called like three times. I was like, obviously, I'd had a few drinks and I was feeling pretty. I was like, man, you better answer the phone. So finally, we got in contact, and, you know, he's, he was a big part of, of me understanding. Uh, what I was capable of and, and gave me a lot of opportunity to grow uh, when I was young. Uh, when I when I first moved down here from the Midwest, once again, the, the Midwestern Chicago brash, straight to the point, hard work attitude didn't necessarily fit with the, the Southern guys. Right. You know, not, not to, to say it badly, but it was the truth. You know, it was a good old boy kind of, you know, take it as go, man, we're just going to go racing and have a good time and whatever happens, happens. That wasn't the way that we raced in the Midwest when you raced with Rusty Wallace and Dick Trickle and Mark Martin and, you know, just to name Bob Seneker, name, name whomever. It was hard, hard racing. So coming down here and getting the opportunity to work with Ray and the ni- uh, 93 with the 24 car, man, he just reaffirmed that, you know, hard work, dedication, doing what's right, being smart about your decision-making process is exactly what will make you successful. And that that helped me tre- tremendously, realigned me, got me going where the direction I really wanted to be in. Uh, so he, he definitely laid the foundation of that, which was awesome. When you finally woke him up after the third call, what did he tell you? He was very happy for me. And I, I didn't feel so bad for waking him up, but I felt really bad about Aaron. I know I woke her up too. So. But he was, man, he's so complimentary. And he always is. You know, he, he's been very fortunate to have been a part of a lot of people's lives that have gone, uh, gone on to be successful in this industry. And, you know, he's, he's a big deal. He's very influential. And I, I just found out he's up for a uh, Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame nominee for 2017. Is that right? Is he? Well, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that's pretty cool. I hope oh. I'm not mistaken there. <laughs> I think he is. Somebody, I don't know. Somebody let me know. Look that up. I've, but, I've voted for him the last couple of years. So I, I would presume he'll probably be on that list again. Yeah, so I'm, I hope so. I'm sure he will be. He deserves it. I think he's done great. So, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to win a few more races than he has. Um, but, you know, he's still the boss. All right. Well, um, I think that we'll be seeing your name on a Hall of Fame ballot at some point in the future. And um, I hope you get to enjoy those moments like you have uh, all the ones you've got in the last 15 seasons. So thanks again for doing this. Yeah. I really appreciate your for insight sure. and your time. I know you're a busy man. So right thanks, on. thanks for having me. Thanks again to Chad Knauss for making time for us. Thanks as well to Amy Walsh of Hendrick Motorsports Media Relations for being so flexible in helping make this conversation happen. And thanks again, as always, to producer Tess Quinlan. We will be back with another episode next week. I don't want to jinx it, as always, but it hopefully will be Daytona 500 related. I'm headed down to Speed Weeks at Daytona National Speedway this week, and I'm trying to line up several guests that we will have on the NASCAR and NBC podcast in the coming weeks. Don't forget also that NASCAR America returned this week on NBCSN, That's our nightly show that will keep you informed of everything happening at the Daytona 500 and throughout the rest of the 2017 season. Usually, the program is on at 5.30 p.m. Sometimes it starts at 5 or 6. Check your listings or check NBCSports.com slash NASCAR, where we always have a daily update on what's to come on the show and the start time. So again, that's NASCAR America on NBCSN. And if you've got ideas for the NASCAR and NBC podcast, send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the NASCAR and NBC podcast.
I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.